0: Hello and welcome to the Breaking Over the Anxiety podcast. I am your host, the anxiety nutritionist, gut and hormonal health expert, yoga and meditation teacher, and cat mom, Taylor Jandro. And this podcast is designed to show you how to relieve and resolve your anxiety disorder through the powerful combination of food, lifestyle changes, targeted supplementation, gut and hormonal health optimization, nervous system regulation, yoga, meditation, mindset, lifestyle coaching, and more. Welcome back to another guest episode. And today we are joined by Alisa, a body positive, high performance coach known for her killer instincts, big heart, strong mind, and hilarious sense of humor. And today she's going to share with us all about this life-changing skill called intuitive awareness. So as you will hear, as Elisa shares her story, she was on track to go to the Olympics, missed her chance, and quite suddenly, basically overnight, lost her sense of purpose, and her whole life shifted. She found herself in a downward spiral. She was drinking alcohol every single day, smoking cigarettes, overeating, gained 85 pounds in one year, married an abusive man, was making poor health choices and accumulated so much debt that at one point, they couldn't even pay for food. She despised her body and her life until she discovered intuitive awareness. This powerful practice, which she's going to share with us today, led to her getting a divorce, losing 85 pounds, paying off all her debt, achieving financial success, eliminating that toxicity from her life, and most importantly, learning to love herself unconditionally. And she doesn't actually say this in our episode, but I was a guest on her podcast, the Elisa Unfiltered podcast. My episode is called The Business of Healthcare and Learning to Break Up with Anxiety. I've linked it in the show notes for you if you want to go check that out. But we talk a lot about medication and how I weaned myself off my medication and how I'm no longer on medication and the things that I've done to get here. And she shared with me on her podcast where I was a guest that she also weaned herself off of medication. She was on a very high dose of SSRIs. And I don't think she talks about that in this episode that you're about to listen to on my podcast, but I just wanted to share that because I thought that would be some interesting information for any women listening who are on medication and looking to come off at some point. So in this episode, Alisa and I talk about, oh my gosh, so much. We talk about why women often don't change even when they want to, the importance of being coachable, what discipline truly means, intuitive awareness, of course, the art of focusing on what we pay attention to, how failure fosters resilience and emotional regulation, the belief systems we are indoctrinated with, and make sure you stick around until the very end because we go through five steps to overcoming self-sabotage. So let's dive in. Alisa Unfiltered. (laughs) Welcome to the Breaking Up with Anxiety podcast. I'm so excited. We're finally having this conversation. This has been a long time like in weeks the and weeks
1: and weeks and weeks I'm I'm so stoked we got to uh, finally press play together and go I know, for it on
0: my podcast cuz I was on yours and that was such mm-hmm. a great conversation and now we're going to kind of flip the script. So just jump right into it, share, you know, whatever pieces of your story um that you, you know, feel comfortable sharing, which I know is probably everything. You're an open (laughs) book like I am. Um, but really kind of walk us through how you got here.
1: Well, uh, thank you for asking that because, you know, I, I feel as though I'm 42 years old, I'll be turning 43 this year. And I feel as though I have lived many different lifetimes. There have been so many uh, big things that have come into my life. Big wins, big losses, huge transformations. Sometimes I feel like, you know, I was having this conversation with my partner Michael the other day. I sometimes I just feel like I I literally am a thousand years old. You know, I didn't grow up in this in the mold that kids who were born in the eighties really did, which is like which is like be a kid, go to school, uh, go to post-secondary, get a job, get married, buy the house, have kids, get the dog. I did not do that, like not even one little piece of it. So I always sort of felt like I was an outsider, an outcast. I thought differently about things. I didn't really ever want to go on that path, even though there was so much societal pressure I mean, I can't even tell you how many, I I ended up having a a colossal breakup in my mid thirties. How many people, even in my mid thirties, which is not that long ago, were telling me like, when are you going to get married? Are you, do you not want kids? What, like, is it as though they wanted me to stay in a shitty relationship so that I could have kids because that's their idea of what success or being a woman is or whatever their belief systems are. So, so I mean, what got me here today is like so many layers of the freaking onion unpeeled and like the onions basically cooked. It's we're, we're into like, I don't know. (laughs) She raw. (laughs) She's cooked. She's raw. She's like, yeah, she's done. (laughs) So like, honestly, in, in a nutshell, my background is I was always felt as though I wanted to be an Olympian. My background is in high performance sport. When I was 18, I made the national uh, freestyle mogul team. So I skied for Canada on the world cup team for eight years. I was headed towards the Torino Olympic games in 2006. I choked at every qualifier event. I was ranked second in Canada, but I didn't go to the Olympics. They sent four women because I didn't perform, uh, optimally in the Olympic qualifier events. All the other ones, I was like winning coming top fives and, um, And yeah, it was a devastating loss. I had a devastating loss of identity. I crashed and burned. I quit the sport immediately. I spent three months in my bedroom, eating ramen three times a day, drinking myself to sleep, smoking cigarettes, being promiscuous, drinking, partying, avoiding, numbing, trying to survive the loss of who I was. And then out of like, what the fuck? Am I allowed to swear on your podcast?
0: Yes. Yes. Okay.
1: You <laughs> should tell people this in the pre-chat. <laughs> yeah. Damn it. Okay, good. Um, yeah, yeah. I like, I just, I got to a place where I, I really um, didn't know what the hell I wanted to do with myself. I didn't know who I was. I didn't know where I belonged. I felt like such a failure. I vibrated failure. I, you know, I didn't, consciously know that I was vibrating failure, by the way. Um, But I was attracting horrible things into my life, horrible men, horrible situations, horrible food, uh, relationships, um, jobs, opportunity, all of it was just this low vibrational, horrible failing, setting myself to fail, setting myself up to fail situations. Um, And I gained 85 pounds in a year. I ended up marrying a very abusive man. I got stuck financially. I was absolutely broke. I couldn't even afford to buy food. So we were begging people for food and um, I was shopping. I was buying like processed crap. That's the cheapest stuff on the shelf with my like shoppers optimum points because we had no money all our credit cards were maxed. We were in default. Government was after us. Um, it was it was really stressful. <laughs> it was a very hard time. Uh, and then one day I just kind of woke up one day and I looked at myself in the mirror and I didn't recognize the person that was looking back at me. And I heard this, this might be spiritual. It's a little bit woo, but th- it was so clear at that time I had just sort of been surviving my life. Even when I was a high performance athlete winning gold, two time national champion, just like crushing it in sport. Even then, I wasn't paying attention. I was just, I was so tunnel vision. I was so determined to get that win, to do that thing that I didn't really ever figure out who I actually was because all I was was that thing. So in that moment, I'm in an abusive relationship. I'm broke to the tits. I'm, so unhappy and unhealthy. I'm pre diabetic, by the way, because my doc, I had gone through my blood tests and my doctor's like, you need to change your lifestyle. And I was like, still in denial. Like, that was a little bit of a trigger, like to be like, oh shit, I'm causing my body to break down and not perform optimally. But inside, I still thought there was a part of me that was high performance. I didn't realize how much weight I had gained. And it's interesting because, like, not to like go on a tangent, but some of the subtle ways that I was noticing that I was fat and I use that word with a lot of grace and compassion because that's how I identified as fat. It wasn't overweight. I wasn't obese. I was fat. I was, I had 85 pounds of fat on my body and a lot of muscle as well. Um, But I put that on like that was fat and inflammation and not good, energy in my cells. And I was at the time I I was coaching. I was coach I went into coaching right away. I started, I didn't know what to do with my life. So I started coaching athletes on the provincial mogul team for Ontario. And we were traveling all over the world like across Canada, internationally, over to Europe. And I was on aircrafts quite a quite a bit. I was like an elite air flyer and my body would hit every single body up the aisle of the plane. Like I couldn't walk the plane without hitting people because I was so wide and and big and it was really uncomfortable and it was super shameful. And I would shame spiral. I would try and fit in my seat. I was like eating all the plane food because I loved it. It was like my favorite thing. I would just like literally buy like $35 worth of garbage on the plane and just eat it in like this It's so interesting, (laughs) but that's, that was my day. That's how I flew. And it was a lot of shame and it was a lot of negative self-talk. And that's what I just kept, kept pulling in to my life, which I didn't know. Again, I was not aware I wasn't paying attention. And then in that moment, when I looked at myself in the mirror, I heard a voice and I, I firmly believe that that was the first time I had really listened to my soul speaking to my intuition. Um, And it basically said, what the fuck are you doing? Like, who do you think you are right now? And it was just such a loud voice. Like I had, I, I didn't know that I had an internal narrative. I mean, I hear a lot of women who are super sick and sad and stuck and stagnant that can't connect to their inner voice either, or hear how it speaks to them or acknowledge how it speaks to them. And I had never been there before. So I think it was like the first time that I really heard it. And it was like, I took a step back and I was like, Oh my God. And that was like the first moment. And I like to I I coach a practice called intuitive awareness, which is paying attention to what you're paying attention to from that, that moment on it sort of birthed this incredible 10 year journey. And It's just really interesting because our self-talk and the voice in our head and the things that we're manifesting and the things we think and believe—they do have a voice. They do speak to us. There is always someone who is speaking, and when that voice speaks up, there is also someone who is listening. There is a an egoic voice, is what I say, and a soul speak. Someone, our soul is listening. So when we're talking. To, to be able to, when you know you're starting to become intuitively aware, it's that you understand that there is a talker and a listener at the same time, simultaneously. So it's kind of like we're multiple personalities, but we're really not. <laughs> and- yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, uh, at that the the next sort of phase of my of my life is really where all the juicy goodness is. I mean, a lot of people really like to hear about my athletic career because it was so like a whirlwind, and and it takes so much to be a high performance athlete, and the discipline and the militant sort of robotic activity and behavior that I did for so long. Just like it's it is really interesting, but it it really set me up to be able to embrace the next phase because my brain and the way that I was raised in sport was to be coachable, was to, was to ask questions. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of positive that I really feel that I embrace today, just being like an entrepreneur, a friend, a a lover, a, a homeowner, a garden grower, and whatever identity I'm wearing in the moment is to really embrace looking around. How can I do this better? And how can I continue to lift my vibration and continue to really see myself and understand myself and forgive myself and grieve the shit and have fun and let it go and just literally live in the moment. And how can I do this better? So I constantly am asking questions. I am constantly trying to figure out I love other people's opinions for the most part. I mean, sometimes opinions can um still trigger me for sure. Um and and, and when they do, it's just like how can I detach from someone else's opinion. So that would be a question I'm always questioning things. So I don't see the world the same way that that uh, many many people do. I don't settle or accept the status quo. I'm always sort of I'm always sort of like the outcast, the outlier, the the one that doesn't comply and 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 I think so far it's really served me in very positive (laughs) ways.
0: I agree. I was actually thinking about this the other day. So it's interesting that you bring this up because, um, by no means was I, you know, as, um, high level as you in your athletic endeavors, Mm -hmm. but I was a, a very competitive soccer player growing up. Mm -hmm. always played for top teams in my area. Had I not had an injury, probably would have played at university, Uh, you know, all of that jazz, classic athlete story. But I was thinking about it the other day about how I believe the reason that I'm so coachable as a person, and I'm so open to mentorship and practicing something like, you know, I meditation, that's a practice, right? Or just like practicing who I want to be, uh, you know, going to the gym, practicing lifting weights when I'm not good at it. Like, I think the reason that I'm so okay with that is because. That's how I grew up. Yeah. When you are a competitive athlete, you always have a coach. It's not even a question. It's like, yeah, of course I'm going to go get a coach. Right. And I think that way in my life too. It's like, of course I have a therapist. Of course I work with business coaches. Of course I work with life coaches. Because in my mind, I'm like, if you want to get to wherever you're trying to go, the next level, whatever it is, you want a coach. Right. And the reason that I'm so okay with, practicing and practicing and practicing something is because I did that my entire youth. And that's similar. That's what I was hearing a little bit from you as well. Not only how it kind of shaped, yeah, so much of how you are now, but the discipline that we have. And then on the flip side of that, I think it's really interesting piece of your story as well, because in the society that we live in, a high level athlete like yourself, it's like, well, you're successful you've made it Mm -hmm. yet you just explained to us that you didn't even know who you were Mm -hmm. and then when you quote-unquote failed and I would love to hear your take on failure yeah
1: absolutely because
0: I have a lot of thoughts on that and technically from the outside looking in it's like oh yeah she failed she choked you know and like so I'd love to actually hear your perspective on failure and how you've redefined that Hey, 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 I am quickly interrupting this episode because if you are like me and you are a visual learner, I wanted to let you know about my free one hour webinar class called the three secrets to natural anxiety banishment that walks you through, well, the three secrets to natural anxiety banishment, specifically how to optimize your digestive function, how to fix your gut. How to eat in a way that boosts natural neurotransmitter production and reduce inflammation, and how to bring your hormones back into balance. I love podcasts for listening to when I'm on walks or driving or cooking or cleaning. They inspire me and give me so many aha moments, but I am a visual learner. So I benefit the most when I can see the information presented in a clear and organized manner, like a slideshow. I don't really remember or retain information that well when it's just presented verbally, which is exactly what I have done for you in my three secrets to natural anxiety banishment training. And within that training, I share the top things that you need to be doing, To optimize digestive function, boost neurotransmitter production, bring your hormones back into balance, all in a beautiful slideshow. So if you haven't watched that, hit the link in the show notes to get your copy of the three secrets to natural anxiety management, free training emailed right to you.
1: Okay. Back to the episode. Yeah. So I, there's two things I want to just touch on. The first one was like the discipline piece because- in my work from what i see when i work with women when i'm when i'm just observing the world not without judgment what i see time and time again is that everyone's disciplined however the mindset around discipline is what holds people back because they weren't disciplined at going to the gym for example everyone thinks that discipline lies around hard work, food, or fitness. Okay. If you don't do those three things, you're not disciplined. Well, let me tell you, you're very disciplined at many things. If you watch Netflix every night, you're disciplined at watching Netflix. If you get up and, you know, scroll, doom scroll, you're disciplined at doom scrolling. Okay. If you wake up and busy yourself so much that you don't get give yourself five minutes to sit and breathe, you're disciplined at that. That's what discipline is. That's what it feels like. Sometimes you feel like shit doing it. You don't want to do it, but you do it anyways. You know, you can think of a thousand million things that you would rather be doing, but you still choose to press play on that Netflix episode. That's what discipline feels like. So I just want to acknowledge that because like, yes, I am disciplined because I work out every day and I take care of myself and people just are like, how are you so naturally disciplined? And I'm like, well, because so are you. We all are. It's a frame of mind. It's a mindset and it's shifting. It's how can you shift your perspective on what it is and stop beating yourself up for something that you already have. Number one, number two, failure, failure. I I, like, I'll be the first to admit that I really fell into the traditional, um, definition of it. I am a woman who sets high expectations. I do whatever it takes to be successful. I, um, I just really love the challenge. I love challenge. That's why I'm a high performance athlete. That's why I was an adrenaline junkie. I flipped and spinned off jumps going 50 kilometers an hour with skis on. I traveled the world. I friggin' put my body through the ringer and I loved it. Okay. So I know that's not for everyone mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's totally fine. No problem. Um, and the, one of the reasons why that traditional definition of failure, um, It's just like, I just like to like acknowledge it and like give it a little warm hug because it was part of the mindset that downward spiraled me into rock bottom because to fail was the worst thing that could ever happen. I literally thought that not going to the Olympics, I was going to die. Like I thought that my life was over. How many times as, as a young person, or even as an adult, were you saying like, my life's over? Like when you get dumped for the first time, you think yes, your life's my over? My first breakup, I thought I was dying. Yes. I actually was like, I'm never going to get over this.
0: Yes. <laughs> Yes. The drama. I can remember vividly how dramatic
1: I was about that. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. I, I mean, same with me. Like I've had moments where I thought I was gonna die because something happened and it just felt like such a failure, and that it was my fault, and I'm to blame, and I'm the worst person in the world, and I'm gonna die. So uh, and that's what happened. And then through the the art. And the discipline of paying attention to what I pay attention to. And this is what I learned through coaching when I hired myself a spiritual coach, someone to help me cleanse and detox my mind because it was full of poison in that, in that day that I woke up and looked at myself in the mirror, I realized that it was me. I'm the one driving the bus. I'm the one that has put myself in this position. It's no one else's fault. Yes, people have done things, said things. I've experienced really awful things from people. I've had traumatic events happen to me. However, how I move forward from those events is up to me. Nobody has to live with the consequences of my life other than me. I am the one. And I figured that out. So when I started to sort of heal and grieve the failure, which was years later, we're talking like five years later, um, or more even. Because you
0: were suppressing it before. I was suppressing and ignoring it. I was like, it, right? Exactly.
1: I was yeah. drinking it into like an uglier mess <laughs> in the in the basement yeah. of my soul. Um, yeah, it's
0: literally like growing and festering in the basement and we're ignoring it because it's in the basement, but eventually it's going to come out of the basement.
1: Oh yeah, it came out of the basement all the time. It was like popping its head all <laughs> over the place. I would snap at people. I was moody. I had to be right all the time. It was like I had to prove myself to everyone. It like came out in all of these like personality traits that I just... Um of like a wounded person, which I now can see in so many people. Like when, like when people lash out, it's wounding, it's the wound in mm-hmm. them. It's not them. So, so failure. Sorry. I'm making this long story, but now- no, I love
0: the tangents. There's so many gold nuggets. in them.
1: <laughs> now, when I, now, when I set out to do something, here's the difference. So the traditional thing of failure is like what it's, uh, it's, you didn't complete it. So you're a loser. You failed. It's a bad thing. It's a negative energy. It's a negative vibe. You're wrong. You suck. You're a failure. I don't even really use that word anymore. And the reason I don't use it is because everything's a mindset. Everything's a mindset and everything that you do is an experience to grow or suppress. Okay. So for example, I, um, I run. Okay. I love running. And I used to think that running a 5k at under, if I didn't run it under 30 minutes, then I sucked that day. I was like a failure. I had to be in the 29s or faster. Okay. My fastest ever 5k was like 24 minutes. And I was like, or 23 minutes or something. And I was like, it had to be in that range from 24 to 30. Okay. If I was 30 minutes and one second, I would be a failure and I would carry that energy with me the whole day. Now when I do things like that, when I when I run or when I set out to do something, if I don't make it, it's like, oh, I that curiosity hat comes on. I wonder what that's all about. It's like, Maybe I didn't care. Maybe I was just cruising because I enjoy running and I'm enjoying it and taking the competition out of everything. And maybe I was less hydrated that day. I wonder how much sleep I got that night. Like, what's my stress levels at? Like, how am I getting sick? Like, there's a lot of questions. Where am I in my cycle? Where am I? Exactly. So Mm -hmm. I just... I've redefined failure out of my vocabulary because there is no such thing as failure. Failure is a construct. Failure is an ideological mindset that is intended to, and I understand why it's there. I understand that there are some benefits to fail. Honestly, there really is. In fact, failure is what creates resiliency. It's what creates, um, emotional regulation and, In fact, I believe that most kids that are under 15 need to be failing a lot more than they are. We're trying to protect people from failing, but learning how to lose is one of the greatest skills that I have ever acquired in my life because everything is hard. Life is hard. We are going to be facing, you can't protect people from losing and from suffering. Suffering is a part of life and the more we try to protect kids from that, the harder it will be when they face the world as adults and have absolutely no preparation, no um miles under their belt of losing. And yeah, it's really hard when you have kids in hockey and they lose the tournament, and it's really hard when your you know, your kid falls off the beam in gymnastics. It's really hard to watch them come dead last in swimming. And instead of t- taking them out of the game and bitching about it and, and fighting the refs and being the crazy soccer moms or whatever. <laughs> I was the parent, the parental. That was time- my mom. I oh. love you
0: mom, but she was a crazy soccer mom running up and down the field, yelling at the ref. You know, we got yes. in the car, nothing was good enough. Should have done this, should have done that because she was so passionate about it. Mm-hmm. And as right. an adult, I'm like, oh, she was living vicariously through us. But also yeah. as an adult, I have these conversations with her and I'm just like, eh, that
1: wasn't your best moment. <laughs> yeah. But, well, you can see when you zoom out, you can see that and I'm not judging this in anyone and yeah. I'm not judging this at all, but that is not about you. It's about them. That wasn't about you. That wasn't for you. That was for them because of their inner child who is wounded by the fact that you are losing. It's not about you losing. And the, the, you see in sport, like I, after following my career in high performance sport, I coached, um, provincial and national team athletes for almost 13 years. And you can see the difference between the parents who think that they know best for their kids that are constantly, um, telling them what to do. You, those kids never make it very far. They really don't. They don't because they're, they're not taught the skills to think freely and independently in their sport. They're not taught how to self-soothe. They're not taught how to self-correct and self-regulate under pressure. They're always being, fed the silver spoon at the end instead of sitting with that oh shit that does feel like shit that sucks how can i soothe myself and you see like some of the most high performance athletes their parents it's it's not like they don't acknowledge that the loss happened right it's not like they're like oh well better luck next time good job pat on the back that's not the answer either it's like that really sucks i'm sorry that happened to you i'm sorry i'm here for you why don't you just you know, go and sit and, and ask yourself, like, what could I have done better? How can I get over this? Take some deep breaths, maybe go for a swim. Let's go do something fun. You know, like those are the types of things to support and celebrate what has happened because it's not a bad thing to lose. It's actually so fundamentally important. And that's one of the things in Canada anyways, like we're not keeping score. Why not? Because people get offended when they lose. Everyone gets a participation ribbon. I say, fuck participation (laughs) ribbons. Like, honestly, it is. I agree. (laughs) And now those kids, when that started, when that wave started, and that was starting when I, it was probably 2008, I think, when they took soccer scores out. So 2008, let's just say you're eight years old. Now you're 24, 23 years old. You're a 23-year-old who has never lost or had to suffer the consequences of failing a grade. And now you're at work and what we're starting to see with that generation, it's not everybody, but it's a humongous number, is like, I don't want to work here anymore. The vibe is off. I don't like this. As soon as they face any hardship and everything in life is hard and we've protected and sheltered so many people that now they don't have the skills and we're catering to, um, we're catering to people, I want to choose my words carefully here because as opposed to teaching them how to show up for themselves, we're catering and lowering the vibration for everyone. We're suppressing all of the hard workers. We're calling people who are ambitious, who are hardworking. We're calling them like extremists now. And, uh, you know, anyone that has ideas, leadership is getting, is under attack. People that have, that think critically and have really cool ideas on how to innovate the world, how to see things differently are being judged, shamed, canceled. And it's a dangerous place. And it all sort of, st- all of these little veins have contributed to this emotional dysfunction. So yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: I don't know if, I don't even know I- if I defined
1: the failure thing, but... <laughs>
0: Well, you said you took it out of your vocabulary, which is what I have done as well. I will sometimes use the word feedback instead, like, oh, Mm -hmm. failure is feedback or something. But I I don't consider anything a failure in my mind. Have I, quote unquote, failed at things? A hundred percent. Have I lost things? A hundred percent. But I no longer look at it. I did for a while, look at it as failure, carry the shame, like not finishing my undergrad because my mental health is one of the biggest things that come to mind. Like the shame that I carried around that. I don't have that fucking piece of paper. You know, I'm five credits away (laughs) from a piece of paper. And for years, people would be like, it's just five credits. Why don't you just do it? It's one class a year. Why don't you go back? And I would be like, for what? For you.
1: For what? Exactly. Great question.
0: For what? Like it's not for me because if I wanted to go back, I would have gone back because I'm smart and I work hard and it's not because I couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. But now where I am in my life, I don't need it. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. why am I spending money and time and energy on something I don't need and don't want to do just so I can have it so that I can be deemed acceptable or worthy or so people can be like, you have an undergrad, good job, good for you.
1: Oh yeah, I've, that resonates deeply with me. I mean, I don't have an undergrad either. I was raised and schooled through the National Coaching Certification Program of Canada, which was five years. I have 10,000 hours of practical. I actually have 20,000 hours of practical coaching, which is, it's decades, it's decades. Mm-hmm. And that's not the same as like a, um, I don't know, even a nutrition Formal degree or a- or, yeah or a, um, a performance mindset or a psychology or whatever degree. Yeah. So well,
0: even with my nutrition program, um, I've had fam- family members be like, yeah, but it's like, it's a college thing or like, it's like a diploma. It's like, it's not, you're not a dietitian, you know? Right. You didn't go to university right. for it. Right. Well, you didn't right. do nutrition in university. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it was just like, okay. And that years ago was like knives, like that would right. just kill me. And I would get in my head about it. And now I'm just like, well,
1: that's a, yeah, that's in but- a test. That's in a test for you knowing who you are. And knowing your own worth and knowing your value and actually peeling away some of those layers of the onion to actually figure out, like, what is my belief system? What is it that I have been indoctrinated to believe? Because that is an indoctrinated belief that you need to have a university degree in order to be successful. And I actually uh, was... I don't want to say he was a father figure to me, but I coached an athlete whose dad was a multimillionaire and we spent a lot of time. I spent a lot of time with their family. They sort of took me under their umbrella a little bit, um, to, help save the team money. I would stay at some of their condos. They were, they were very um, wealthy, very generous. I would stay at some of their condos in various areas of the country and use their vehicles. And, and the dad, he would, he gave me a ton of um, feedback and information when I asked, he was super respectful of, of that, but I was always curious about what he thought about certain instances because he not only built a seven-figure international business, but he also is like the coolest dude ever. So you would never know how wealthy he is unless you really got into his personal life because he's just Mm -hmm. this really cool down-to-earth person. And I was attracted to that. Anyways, so he he taught me so much about um about how oh my i have like 10 freaking stories i want to tell you about this guy <laughs> but one of the things that he did was yes so in order um he needed certain positions to have degrees like engineers for example for insurance purposes for you know there's there's some bigger roles there that really need but in terms of sales and marketing he would hire the character he would hire the person he would bring people in for the person that they were not their education he would bring people in for their experience and he was very vocal about that so there was people in very high levels in his company who didn't have university degrees or college degrees but they friggin crushed at life and he was like yes I don't give a shit and he was breaking that norm and that that mold and a lot of companies are doing that because it's for the people people learn in so many different ways And we've been so indoctrinated to believe that if you didn't get the university degree and go through the memorization and go through the 80 to hundred thousand dollars worth of student loans, that you aren't in the position to know better about certain things. And we're, we're really breaking the mold on that. Like there are more millionaires today from TikTok than ever before that are just content creators that, you know, is that good for society? I'm not sure. Um, Is formal education the end all be all for how smart you are absolutely not in fact no i don't know a single person who um after 5 years of working in their field still utilizes what they learned in school or has used it at all what that degree does show though is it, it in my opinion um it does show a level of commitment okay that's what I would take from it. So if someone has a degree in history, but I'm hiring them as a social media manager, I'd be like, great. You have a history degree that I don't give a shit about, but you went to school and completed it and did your time. You got it. Okay. Now show me what you got. Like now show me what you got in marketing. It doesn't matter that, that you did four years in history. I don't care. You know what I'm saying? So like there is some, there accolades are just subjective to me. <laughs> yeah. Your title. You know what
0: that.
1: Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. No, I'm just saying your title and your accolades are subjective. So yeah. Yeah.
0: Hello, me again. Interrupting this episode just one last time because I really need to take a quick minute to invite you if you're ready to join Breaking Up With Anxiety my four-month group coaching program for women who are ready to break up with their anxiety for good. By the end of our four months together, not only will you have completely rebalanced your gut, your hormones, and built a flexible nervous system, but you will have the tools and resources that you need to keep your anxiety away so it doesn't come creeping back down the road. Through simple dietary changes, my signature root cause specific gut and hormone supplement protocol, powerful stress management and nervous system regulation techniques, psychotherapy based workshops, and the support of myself and all your other breaking up with anxiety ladies, this is going to be the best goddamn breakup of your life. But... In order to give each woman who joins the program the support she needs throughout the journey, there are always only 12 spots available for enrollment each month. And right now, there are a few spots left. When you break up with someone that isn't right for you, it's always a relief. Breaking up with your anxiety isn't just a relief. It's completely life-changing. If you are ready to show up for yourself, do the work, and change your life, click the link in the show notes to sign up for Breaking Up With Anxiety today or head over to www.tejandro.com forward slash breaking dash up dash with dash anxiety. Okay, back to the episode. This just brought up something for me. And um, you you talked about, okay, this shows that you committed, right? Mm-hmm. This is something that I got stuck on for a long time because growing up, my mom, I, I don't know when she started saying this to me, but I she still kind of jokes about it to this day. But she was like, you were you were such a quitter, like as a little girl, like mm. we would put you in a sport and you would quit. We would put you in something and you would quit, quit, quit. Like you always quit. And so I kind of grew up thinking, mm-hmm. I'm a quitter. I don't see things through. And so the undergraduate piece where I was quite literally forced out because of my mental health, it was a decision I made for my health that I had to make at the time. And then deciding not to go back because I had become a nutritionist and found another passion and found another way to help people and contribute to this world. Um, I always kind of got hung up on that for a long time. And it's my therapist who helped me reframe that because I was top of my class in my nutrition program. I run a business. I work three jobs. I'm not a quitter. What I was quitting was the things I didn't want to do. So what I actually am is somebody who just walks to the beat of my own drum and just do what I want to fucking do. And I follow, follow my alignment and my values. And I've done that ever since I was little. And I was, and like shamed for that almost. And like, this isn't to blame. I was shamed for that. This isn't to blame my mom. Like my mom was doing the best with what she had at the time, Yeah, you know, but in her mind, because of her conditioning and the way she was raised, it was like, you just do things, even if you're miserable, you do them. Right. And I've seen that play out in her adult life as well. And, and I'm even as a little girl, I was like, I don't like this. I don't want to do this. And I heard recently on a podcast by someone who's insanely successful. It was like the diary of the CEO. And I don't know if it was Steven who said it or his guest, but whoever, they're both people were insanely successful. And somebody was like, um, I think one of the secrets to success is being really good at quitting things and just Mm. knowing when that's not for you and pivoting, like quitting, just like failure isn't a negative thing. It's not like you're, I was quitting to do nothing and just sit on the couch.
1: I was just quitting to do something else. (laughs) Exactly. It's just in the eye of the beholder. The failure, the definition is in the eye of the beholder. It's the same with perfection. Perfection, it's the same with beauty. It's in the eye of the beholder. So what you think is perfect and you're striving to get because it's so perfect, to other people, it's not perfect. It's only to you. It's to your eye and your ideas and what you think. And it's interesting when you talk about your mom, like – I mean, every single parent out there is fucking up their kid in some way, shape or form, but that's not a bad thing. And I don't mean Mm -hmm. fucking up as that their life is over. What I mean is we're all trying to do our best and we're all doing things to the best of our abilities. The thing is, is that what happens with parents when you have a kid When you're growing, or if you're a kid and you have parents, or if you don't have parents, perhaps they're guardians, perhaps they're neighbors, perhaps they're teachers, whoever it is that you're learning from, we learn and build our identities and our belief systems through three main ways. The first way is through repetition. Think about a mom teaching or a dad teaching their child how to talk. You repeat, you repeat, you repeat, you repeat, and finally you're rewarded for saying it right. Yay. You said mama. Yay. There's a reward. If you say it wrong, there's some sort of consequence. There's a punishment. This is called domestication. So we are domesticated through repetition inside of the reward punishment model. We don't think we're doing it that way, but it's exactly the same way as you would domesticate any other animal. We're just a little bit more sophisticated. So it seems as though we're teaching. Okay. Yeah. We're teaching our kids, but really we're domesticating them because when they get it right, they get it right and it's a good thing. When they get it wrong, then they're in trouble and there's a consequence. So we learn consequences of right and wrong very, very soon, but it's parroted back. Like we parrot back what we hear. So if your mom's telling you you're such a quitter, you're such a quitter, you don't have those thoughts in your mind when you're born. You did not think that way. You had a clean Mm. slate. All you knew was how to love. All you knew was that you were freaking hungry. You needed to poop and you were probably cold or warm or sick (laughs) or not sick, Mm -hmm. right? Like you knew very little things. Your instincts ran your entire being. And then as your brain developed and you started growing up, your parents taught you how to think and they taught you how to think primarily because of how they think. And sometimes there is a contrast between mom and dad and you saw people fighting and you thought, and you said, oh, this is the, the definition of marriage. This is the definition of love. This is how people okay. should interact with one another. And you're watching. Or it's my fault. They're fighting because or, of me. Or it's my fault. They're right. So, so what happens is you hear, I'm a quitter and you hear it so often. We'll just use you as an example. Mm-hmm that as you grow up and your formative years, like the main years where this happens, it's controversial. There's a lot of data and people stick to certain numbers, but I expanded the range from basically seven to 14 years old. That's when the majority of your beliefs are solidified. That voice in your head, the way it speaks to you, the way you've learned to speak to yourself from others is formed between ages seven and 14. I mean, if there's there's going to be people that will argue it's a little bit shorter than that, and a little bit wider than that, but that's kind of like the... I've heard
0: thing. seven like as the youngest is what yeah. I've heard seemingly across the board to me anyway.
1: Yeah. Some people say seven to 12, but regardless... Um, Then what happens in your teenage years when you're like in full posture, full rebellion, fuck my mom and dad, fuck the world. I was
0: the biggest rebel. Oh yeah. I was literally, I lied to my parents. I snuck around like, but it's I was the oldest and they were so strict with me, Mm -hmm. so strict with me. And because they thought they were doing the right thing. I was their first go at it. You know, my sisters are seven and 10 years younger than me. So there's quite a significant gap Mm -hmm. and um, I was just like the little bad girl. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Dang. I I bet a lot of people listening would resonate. I was the same. I was a rebel, like my whole life. I was like, I'm not doing that. (laughs) Screw that. I was even like, I obsessed with going to bed early. Like I was one of these kids that put themselves to bed at seven o'clock. Like I did. I didn't fight to go to bed. I love sleeping. I'd be like, good (laughs) night. Go to bed when I was like five. My mom was That's like the "Hilarious, golden, the golden child. Um, anyways, so what happens when you're a teenager and you're at school and you quit something or what happens when you don't do something right and you leave the situation or you want to flee or you want to do whatever, you want to quit. What happens is you will start to think to yourself, I'm a quitter. You will hear that voice and that voice will become your voice. So it started off as your mom's voice and then it becomes yours. And you believe that you are the one thinking those things, but it's really not you. You learned how to think that from someone else's ideological mindset. Okay. About what quitting is the de- defined by your mom. So you start to self-domesticate and you will reward and punish yourself in the same exact way inside your mind. So think about all of the times you reward yourself for being a good girl and you punish yourself for being a bad girl. And if quitting is bad, then you're going to hold, you're going to domesticate yourself. It's called self-domestication and and punish yourself in some way, be it shaming, be it drinking, be it like something to your body, be it self-sabotage, be it like blowing up your life, be it like doing something, right?
0: Okay, I want to ask you, why do you think or do you see in the practice and the work that you do, why women don't change even when they really, really want to?
1: There's a lot of layers to the answer of this. Um, and really, it, I hate to blanket it and say it really depends on the person. Uh, I will say, though, that um, it's fear. It's fear. It's, 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 it's all based in the idea on the, in the domesticated ideas, the mindset of their ability to stand up, to step into their power. The first thing that I like to ask people is this, this is an interesting question. Let's just say someone struggles with weight or is in a really unhealthy relationship. I mean, I could have asked myself this question. I was married to an abuser. It was a looping. I was super abusive to myself. So we have to understand that we tolerate the level of abuse from others, from our surroundings to which we give ourselves. The moment the abuse gets more than that which we give ourselves, even one degree more, then we can see it. Finally, then we will be able to see the abuse and acknowledge it and be able to take action to leave. So people, it's a cycle of abuse. And I'm really minimizing this right now. Like I'm not going to get deep into it, but it's, uh, the cycle of abuse is very interesting. And it's one of the reasons why we go back. That's what the comfort zone is. And the comfort zone for many people is very low. I was one of them. Again, when I missed the Olympics, I downward spiraled so low that my thoughts, my behaviors, what I brought into my life was very abusive. And I pulled in a relationship that equaled that abuse. Okay. And of course we tried to make it look like the white picket fence. We were so happy together. Bullshit lie because the outside world would judge me. And I knew that there was a part of me that knew that. So I had to hide And you just get so stuck there. Okay. So my point is if for me to change, I had to recognize that I am the one driving the bus. Okay. And that's one of the ways that I ask, ask women who want to change They're trying to lose weight. They lose 10 pounds on this diet. They gain it right back. They lose 20 pounds on this diet. They gain it right back. They, you know, start, um, They finally break up with the boyfriend and then they attract the exact same guy looks different, different name, but the same, the way that they treat them over and over, they're going to, people are going to loop in the same loop. And the interesting thing is once we break the loop, so for example, I, I want to go on a diet. I lost 20 pounds. What the mind's going to tell you is I am never going back to the way it was again I will never date someone that treats me like that again. I will never tolerate that again. We say these things because we are in a higher vibrational place. However, when we don't have the skills and the support and the self-talk and the and the ability to recognize that our mindset hasn't changed, just the, cir- yes, take the win. You got that thing. But the circumstances in, in our minds haven't changed. We haven't detoxed the mind. We haven't unwritten or reprogrammed the program that got us there in the first place, which is like what I quote unquote call the work, we're going to go back. And that's why 95% of diets fail. You will gain it back eventually. Okay. You will keep attracting the same people into your life. You will. It's like the, I love the example of the, um, money mindset because that's something I really was breaking through in 20 from 2021 to 2023 like 2023 was a massive breakout year for me in terms of money and my money mindset because I didn't realize that I think poor and one of the quotes Mm -hmm. it was actually a meme and people get really offended by this and I and I don't mean to offend if if you if you're listening to this um Because I was right there, I would have been offended two years ago with this with this quote, and it was.
0: But when you're being offended, it's because it's triggering something within you. Oh yeah, and there's likely some truth to it.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely, hundred percent. So what is it? I need to hear. Because
0: I'm working on my money mindset, so maybe I'm going to be offended.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's give a rich man give a rich man a thousand dollars, he will come back with ten thousand. Give a poor man $1,000. He will come back with an iPhone.
0: Yeah, I've heard this one.
1: Yeah. And I heard that. Not offended. (laughs) I heard that in the middle of 2020, 2021. I say it often on my podcast, on other people's podcasts, because that was the, the question. When I started to recognize, oh shit, I'm the problem. I always have enough money, but am I swimming in it? Who would I be if I was swimming in so much money I couldn't even spend it all? Who would I be if people were giving me $10,000, $20,000? Who would I be? And I didn't have that clarity and that vision because I had never gone there before. So I had to start breaking through the layers of that shit because I was taught how to be poor when it came to money. That's why I don't have a lot. That's why I didn't have a lot of money. That's why I didn't bring it in. I always had enough. And I hear this time and time again, people get raises and they still can't save. If they make $30,000 more in a year, they didn't save that $30,000 or invest or make more money. They figured out how to spend it because they're just spending. That's how they learned how to deal with money. And it's a mindset. It's called your money mindset. And some people think more and other people don't. And then we, instead of asking ourselves, why do I think poor? Instead, what we do is we victimize ourselves and we blame people who think rich that they're the problem. They're the enemy, but they're not. They grew up. So my question that I started asking a couple of years ago is how does that rich man who made $10,000 with the $1,000, how does he think? What does he do that I am not doing? And you start to learn, how are they doing it? Why do they do it like that? Where did they learn that? What does it feel like to take that kind of risk? Because we all, like when you go into the store and you buy a thousand dollar iPhone, everyone has like a little, uh, bleh, I'm going to barf by spending a thousand dollars on a yeah, stupid that's a iPhone. A phone. That's a lot of money on a phone. It's a lot of money. Yeah. And yet We just do it. Right. And everyone has it. <laughs> Yeah. So Michael has been a huge person in helping me because we, we like, we talk about winning the lottery and he, we've had the winning the lottery thing. And I, and I immediately start saying, I would give this much to this person. I would buy this. I would do. And he was like, no, we're investing a hundred percent of it. And in five years, we're going to triple it. And I was like, Oh fuck. See, I don't even think that way. make And I I didn't even think that way.
0: And so, and my partner is it's like, we invest, we make our money work for us. And I'm yes. like, what do you mean? I'm going to go buy supplements. Yeah. What do you mean? <laughs>
1: I'm going to stock my fridge with AG1 <laughs> it's like, and all the things
0: and, yeah, buy a car later.
1: and give millions of dollars to all my friends. Like, I'm just like, that's the way my brain thinks. And he's like, no, you can give them millions of dollars later. Once we triple, quadruple our money. And I'm like, holy fuck. Okay. So that is the same. So people that want to, that, that, that change, that want change, but they don't take that first step. They don't take the risk. The, the underlying thing around it is fear. And they've also somewhere subconsciously most likely attached, um, the idea it's not that they're incapable of, of change, but that change is uncomfortable. That's the difference. So change feels so uncomfortable that they internalize that as that is that they're not capable, but really what it is is that it's uncertain. So it has nothing to do with how capable people are of changing. It is the idea of stepping into uncertainty. And here's the thing when it comes to mindfulness. So this goes into like the foundation of the work that I do in mindfulness is first of all, To be mindful and in the present is to embrace uncertainty. Right now, we, our minds, when they live in the past or when we project ourselves into the future, we need a level of certainty. But really, the only constant is change. That's the only constant in the whole world is change. We are always changing and evolving 100% every fucking atom on this earth, Right but for us yeah, to feel cells safe in our
0: body are turning over like everything
1: <laughs> yeah for us to feel safe we have to have the illusion of safe of certainty it's the illusion it's not real but that's how we feel safe that's how we can internalize safety it's one of the mechanisms it's one of the ways that we internalize safety so but but uncertainty is the rule it's not the exception which is backwards Because certainty for us is the rule and uncertainty is the exception in most of our lives. So the way that that sort of mindfulness, intuitive awareness, paying attention to what you're paying attention to without judgment, I call it sort of the silent observer, the non-judgmental observer of your mind, listening to the program, how you've been trained, how you've been domesticated to think and believe. Now, sometimes you can pay attention to things that you still agree with as an adult and be like, great, I learned how to do that. I love that. I'm in alignment with that. We're good. Let's keep going. But other times you're like, oh, shit, I've been trained to think if I do this, that's scary and I'm going to fail and die and people are going to laugh at me and I'm going to be worried and outcast and die. And it, maybe not in so many words, but that's sort of the evolution of the thought. And so we get afraid. We're, we're afraid to step into uncertainty.
0: Mm-hmm. Or it's like, it's not going to work. So why bother even try? But- right. Staying the same is just as painful, no? As yeah. changing? Yes. Or it's just a comfortable
1: It's just a certain you yeah. can predict the outcome. A comfortable pain. Yes, you can yeah. predict the outcome and so it feels more certain. And so you'll lean into what you can predict. And that's why we self-sabotage yeah. too. So when things are starting to shift in such a way and we're starting to lean into uncertainty in any way, people will self-sabotage so that they can predict the outcome. That's what it is all about. Okay.
0: Let's close with this. Okay. I know we both. We both have some hard stops, so we <laughs> want to respect our time. But if anybody's listening to this and they're like, I know I self-sabotage. Mm-hmm. Could you give them 3 to 5 steps, 5 max? It could be high level, but if people are like, I know I self-sabotage and I don't know how to stop it. Like, what would you what would be some steps just to point people in the right direction? Like I want to change, but I'm always self-sabotaging. What do I do?
1: Okay. I think the, the first, the first thing is to really parent yourself. You need to become the mother, the father, the parental figure in your own life. I call it the CEO of your health and your wealth and your, and your shit. Okay. You have to come become the CEO. What would the CEO do? in these situations. So that's number one is to become the mother figure because you're going to need to soothe the shit out of yourself because it's not you that's scared. It's a version of you from the past that never, that didn't feel safe. And I mean, we're not going to go into inner child work here. I don't, I don't do a lot of inner child work. I do more vibrational work. I'm not a therapist. I'm not a psychologist. I'm a coach. So I teach you how to acknowledge and, and, and let go of vibration through action. So first of all, is to, is to be willing to mother or father, be the CEO. Number two, what are, what do you want? You must get clear on the direction because if you aren't thinking like, if you want to, I don't know, be a millionaire, how do millionaires think? What do they do? How do they behave? If you are not thinking, breathing, walking like a millionaire, why do you think you will ever be one? If you can't put yourself in that position and feel what it feels like, visualize money in your bank account, visualize the energy of what that money looks like coming in, how you're going to feel. These are types of things you need to be able to, I call it the front burner and the back burner thinking. Self-sabotage is very back burner thinking. You're always on the back. It's the people pleaser. It's the you're not okay unless everyone else is okay. That's in the front, you know, like you always sort of like slide into the back. And then when you don't get what you want and you're always feeling like the doormat and you're not feeling seen or heard, then you, then you really dig in and get really hard on yourself. And the inner critic keeps going and you fuel yourself, or it's the illusion of fueling yourself by people pleasing again, you're needed. You need to feel needed. They've other people fill the void. So, that is back burner thinking. What would it feel like to live in the front? What do people who love themselves say, do, behave? How does that look? Okay, so it's starting to really visualize what do you actually want? That's step two. So it's be the mother. Step two is visualize what do you actually want? How can you get clarity? Number three, when you are um, getting scared, that yucky, smushy, little feeling of like, oh God. I can't do this. It's scary this is abort, hard. abort abort. Yeah. And some and sometimes it might be just like a moment. Other times it might be, "Oh, I need to bake these cookies instead. Oh, I need to wash my car that I haven't cleaned for 5 years instead of doing the work on my business plan." You know, like you you, you like sabotage looks like a lot of different things. So, it's really good to pay attention to the way that you that you do it cuz most people don't really know. They might say, oh, well, like, they might say, like, if it's on a diet, I sabotage because I eat the cake on my birthday. But the rule is I'm not allowed to eat cake, but it's my birthday and I always eat cake. So you're going to have a dissonance there and have these internal battles from the two belief systems, like bashing heads. What does that look like? What are you saying to yourself? And just write it down, like pay attention, because you can't change what you do not acknowledge and you can't change what you don't know is happening and we most of the time don't know. Like if I was to ask you, like, how do you self-sabotage? You'd probably be like, oh, well, I know like the final step, but do you know the way it starts? Okay. The pattern. The pattern. pattern, Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Four, I would say when you start to acknowledge like, oh shit, I'm scrubbing the floors for the fifth hour instead of whatever, or I am working out for four hours because people self-sabotage through excessive working out, right? They do, We do things that are excessive or, or we avoid and distract. So if you notice, you'll be like, oh, I'm in that distraction. What to do at that moment. This is getting, re- this is actually super difficult and very high level and exactly what I teach women how to do, what to do to pay attention to this moment and you hear a lot of people doing it, but the reality is most people can't think of it in the moment. They don't, they're not practiced for it to be like this discipline, if you will, is to pause, stand up, close your eyes, take a deep breath, connect your mind and your body, come to the present moment, pay attention to your five senses Take a deep breath in and out and then decide what your next move is going to be. It's like literally removing yourself from what you're doing without judgment, without harsh words, connecting to your body, breathing, and then asking the question, what should, what is in my highest, is this in my highest good to be doing this? Is this the way I should be doing this? And then go from there. And I don't know. Number five is like, honestly, if you're a self-sabotager, just really, you need to start paying attention to what you're paying attention to. Who the fuck is in your circle? Because you are the sum of the five closest people to you. Are you in a supportive group? Are you with hanging out with influential people that are pulling you up? keeping you the same or pulling you down cause they're everywhere. And it's like, you know, maybe it's time to look for mentorship. Maybe it's time to reach out to some of the people that you look up to on the internet and like start asking them questions and start connecting yourself with a different tribe. I mean, 2023 was massive transformation for me in my life I completely have like in my forties created a brand new group of friends, group of women who are crushing it. They're crushing their lives. They're a super high performance. Like, cause what the, the thing is that being a woman, especially a business owner and a mom and all the things that happen in your life, you're a high performance athlete, man. Like you need a team and it takes a village to really get to know who you are and, and, prop you up to the highest. So, are you surrounding yourself with that village or you just loyal to people for the sake of being loyal? Are you in the comfort zone with your friend group? Can you can you love those people in your life and look for others who are going to enrich you and teach you how to rise above the noise? Cuz right now it's all noise. And when you do, the most brilliant thing will happen. Let me tell you, you'll be sitting around with your friends group, you'll be eating dinner, And they'll be gossiping about bullshit that you don't resonate with anymore. And you will think to yourself, God, why am I even friends with these people anymore? It happens every single time when you start rising above the noise and leveling up your vibration, when everyone else stays the same, it will not feel good and it will not feel comfortable. It doesn't mean you need to like cancel them and hate them. It means that you are, you now get to decide, What do you want for your life? Do you want to go lower or do you want to keep rising?
0: I'm going to have to bring you back on for that conversation because I know you went through (laughs) so much change in your friend group and Mm -hmm. I have as well. And it is probably one of the hardest things that has ever happened. But for now, where can people find you? Where can they connect with you? All that stuff.
1: Um, yeah, I would love for you to follow me on socials uh, at Elisa curry Lowitz. Are you going to write this down somewhere in the show notes? It's uh... We're going
0: to link everything okay, you say in the show
1: notes. <laughs> uh, the, uh, the podcast is Elisa Unfiltered. You can listen to it anywhere that you download your podcast. And then find me uh, at com. I have a mentorship starting January 23rd, 2024. I don't know when this episode's going to be going out, if we're going to be in it or not. I do one-on-one coaching as It'll well. It'll be sometime in January, but when we're not sure. Okay, very good, very good. Regardless, there's a lot of things happening. There's free stuff, free ways to connect. There's like entry-level stuff, and then there's big, big mentorship uh, opportunity if you want to uh, really friggin skyrocket, skyrocket yourself.
0: Do the damn thing. Do well, the thank damn you thing. So much for coming. Yeah. <laughs> thank you so much for coming on.
1: Yes, thank you. That was fun.
0: Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I have one quick favor to ask you before you go. If you love today's episode, I would so appreciate if you left a review on whatever podcast platform you are listening to right now. My goal with this podcast is to reach as many people as possible to spread awareness that anxiety is not this incurable disease. It's not something we just have to live with. It's definitely not just part of your personality. And there are body-based imbalances that need to be addressed in order to truly be free from chronic anxiety. With awareness comes action. And the more people this podcast can reach, the less people will struggle with anxiety. And positive reviews are the number one way to help new people discover the show. You are the best. Thank you so much for being here. I appreciate so, so, so much. One last thing. My legal medical disclaimer. The Breaking Up With Anxiety podcast with me, Taylor Jandro, is for general information and educational purposes only. And the advice and recommendations I give or my guests give throughout the episodes, do not replace medical advice. The consumption of this podcast does not qualify as a practitioner-client relationship with me, and the use and implementation of the information discussed are at the sole discretion of the listener. Yes, I am a nutritionist, but I am not your nutritionist, so please discuss any changes with your primary healthcare provider. Okay, that's it. Until the next episode, Bye for now.